encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Another episode of the Busby Bay Podcast. We are back after an extended absence um, here with Nathan Heinschel and Polly Questel, as always. Uh, Manchester United will have their first Premier League game in over a month. Um, so we're here to talk about that. But first, we're going to dive into the uh, financial situation from the quarterly reports uh, that came out last week. So, um if you uh, haven't been depressed enough, right? <laughs> the most monotone introduction there of "Hey, we're back. It's been a while." Let's Missed talk about things. money. The Queen died, <laughs> so therefore United haven't played in a month. Let's get more depressing by talking about their financials. I, yeah. I, I think the most important thing to bring up first is: has the meme become too old now? Like, Polly's not bringing up the fact that my name's on a byline on the Busby Babe website right now. Yeah, Nathan like, actually wrote something. I actually, I actually just went on the site to see what was there, and I was like, wow, Nathan <laughs> is the cover story. He's and still front page. And then 12. I went, wow, we haven't written anything in a while. <laughs> like 1,200 yeah. words, baby. <laughs> so um, we are also I will, I will give Colin this. I will give Colin this. They're, they're really – for an international break where usually there's just dumb story after dumb story after dumb story, there really wasn't. No. I mean, the first couple of days, there was, like, a little bit of Cody Gakpo stuff, and then that was, like, it. Even, like, The Athletic sure like, wasn't, wasn't dropping crazy international break stories. <laughs> right. Um, I will say, though, we did cover both Manchester United women's matches, um, so we will be doing that with more regularity this season and we're also going to talk about them a little bit more uh at the end of this podcast after we do the manchester city preview but um yeah first of all let's get the money talk out of the way so um polly i'll go ahead and give you the stage for this one since uh, you had something prepared for this yeah like i mean who's getting the bag not Manchester United. No, so the the um I mean it wasn't the athletic, but they wrote about it. But United released their financials for the fiscal year 21-22, and it's bad. Um, it's real bad. It was bad enough that I first saw it. I read through the numbers and I went, I went, um, oh God, I need to talk to Suede right now. If you don't remember over the summer when we were talking to Carl Anka and he he mentioned Suede is the go-to guy for needing to be talked off the ledge. He can, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you why everything's okay and what the plan is and what's going on. And I went to Suede um, to sum it up. United lost a lot of money last year. Part of that is because of COVID uh, or I know there wasn't even the COVID year. It's not because of COVID their, their revenue increased because fans came back into the stadium because of COVID. Um, but they had like a net loss of like 115 million. They increased their salary their wage bill by 61 million, um, which is a lot of Ronaldo, but also Veron Sancho coming in on massive wage. There was no under the radar. There was no Tyrell Malasia, uh, Diogo Dallo small signing to booster the squad. It was just salary, salary, salary. And on top of that, they sacked a manager. They sacked another manager who wasn't really paid out. 
they lost a lot of money, and really where more comes in to play, or actually that's that's going to be for next year, is United had an overarching view of their budget for the summer. They gave it to Eric Ten Hag. They lost 4-0 to Brentford, and Eric Ten Hag went back in and said, this is not good enough, and we need more. And United suddenly gave him more. Well, where did that money come from? Turns out, as confirmed by the reports, as well as John Murtaugh, that just came from next summer's money. And it really paints the transfer window in a different light now when you think about everything, because I think everything up until this point had been looked at as this is the beginning of Eric Tenog. This is year one. And then, and here's your plan. You're going to bring in some players in year one. Then you're going to bring in, you're going to build something. You're going to bring in some players in year two to build on top of that and so on and so forth. And now it really looks more like you just brought in two years worth of players at once. And there's still a lot of holes in the squad. That's what I went to Suede about. I went, mm, there's still like, we just spent a ton of money on Anthony and a ton of money on Casemiro. And there's still a ton of holes in this squad. There's a striker. There's a hole at striker. And even if you say, well, Ronaldo's leaving next season, say like Ronaldo does leave next season. Strikers don't come cheap. You're not getting any, unless you're getting a project, it's not going to come cheap. And I think when you look at how much money United have lost and you look at the wages of, of Cavani and Pogba and even Matic was on big wages. Lingard was on big wages. They didn't like how many of those wages did they replace? They didn't replace all of it. So clearly like lowering the wage bill has been a priority that when should Ronaldo leave next summer and some other players leave, how much of that is going to be replaced is a, is a valid question that it now really changes the, uh, the way you look at this past summer. Did, Colin Colin kept asking us uh, for our transfer grades, for a transfer piece. Did we ever write that? Uh, no, I think I was the only one who actually filled something out in that uh, draft. But it got to the point where, you know, I was just kind of fed up. But uh, there's, uh, like, like you do said. Do we want to do it live right now? <laughs> well, the whole thing was. I mean, my, I kind wasn't of... that good anyway, even without this in context. Because. There's still a lot of needs that I, I look at midfield and, you know, even just not even regarding Casemiro's poor performances so far, he wasn't enough as is, you know, just him and Erickson coming in. You're relying on two guys to stay healthy again. And Anthony, I, I think, you know, he could be a superstar. Sure. But a hundred million for right now, he's, I mean, it's got to work now is the thing because you can't go through this another period of turmoil, another period of things collapsing and all these bad vibes and expect the club to actually respond the same way that they did this summer because they just don't have the money to do it at this point. Yeah. So I, I, part of the reason that I wasn't going to, that I never, part of the reason I, I didn't have a lot of time, but another part of the reason that I'd never got around to writing that thing was because I just didn't want to be a Debbie Downer because there is so much that I want to believe about this club that's getting better. Eric Tenhog is a really good manager. The, the team is winning games now. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer and everything, but yeah, I, I wasn't looking at this 
transfer window is very good, especially because I usually my outlook on most things in terms of sport and everything is I don't want to win a championship and then be bad. So I'd rather not win the championship this year. I'd rather be a little bit, be good, but not the best this year. If that gives me a better chance of winning next year and the year after that and the year after. And Casemiro to me was just a move that's like, that makes us better now, maybe better next year. Doesn't make us better in two years. And it's, it's similar with, you know, the money that they spent on Anthony. It's okay. Like that money you're borrowing from somewhere is somewhere along the lines. You're going to pay the bill here. And it, it now, like there's no way that Ten Hag went to the board and said, I need more money. And they said, and they made this decision of let's borrow against next year's budget. Here you go. And didn't tell him or that he wasn't in on that decision. That is something that he definitely, he signed off on. If if you're gonna if as as every as the story is framed right now, he has a lot of control over what's going on, in which case he definitely was involved in that decision. I think that that's another one it's tricky for him in that situation too, because you can't just look at a potential disaster in your very first season and not want to do something to change that correct um and and there's there's no problem with that. I have no problem with that. It's that if you now go in with this mindset of, okay, I'm I'm using next year's funds also, how do you come away with a Casemiro and a super expensive Anthony? Like when you should be going, wait, I need to make smart, shrewd signings here that are going to make me better, but also leaving something for next year. Like there, there should not be one Tyrell Malasia. Where are your other Tyrell Molossius? Tyrell Molossius was this nice, cheap, very shrewd signing, and he's been fantastic. And all he has done is prove that Tyrell Molossius exist. Why didn't we go and find others? Instead, we got one and then just went for these big proven guys. And and, Suede, and I went to Suede about this, and Suede said, like, oh, yeah, he's going to go after older players. That's kind of his thing. And I said, I know I come off as very anti-old old players um, always. And the reason for that isn't because I don't think that they're good. They have use, they have uses, they have value. It's that the window on an older player is much smaller. You need to get, you need to get what you want out of him and then move on to somebody. Eric Ten Hag like used Klaasian Huntlier very well. And then the next year he just didn't use it. He had somebody else. And the issue is, is when you're go, when you're shopping at the top of the market for, Older players, like a Casemiro, they're going to be very expensive. And do you trust the club now to find the next one? They didn't do it with the Monumentic. Are they going to do it with Casemiro? Like, there's no trust in that club. And, and Suede was just saying, like, yeah, this is he's, he's probably going to undertake, like, a very similar strategy to Mourinho or, or Antonio Conte when it comes to the squad building and, and his managerial everything. He's like, it just won't contain the outbursts that Mourinho and Conte have. And I went, well, then what happens in year three? And so it was just like, I'm not quoting him. I'm paraphrasing, but so it was like, year three is going to be an issue. Um, like we're going to run into problems. And I was like, well, the whole point, the whole thing they sold us on Eric Tenog was this long-term vision, long-term plan. And that doesn't seem 
to exist. Now, maybe maybe it's different. Maybe United win the lottery or something and they, they suddenly find money next year. It just seems like next year is going to be more about um, getting the wages back under control. You're, you're, pro- like, you're probably going to have that 18-19 transfer window where they you know just don't bring players in because the money isn't there. And for everybody saying like, oh, we're playing like this right now because Ten Hag just has to get more of his guys in. Like, this is what's in. And this is two, three guys next year at the most, but not at the high end. Is This is what he's going to have to work with for the next two years. And like, was that worth it considering that City are going to run away with the league anyway? Nathan, are City going to run away with the league anyway? It certainly feels like it, Colin. Thank you for asking. Because <laughs> um, the difference is, is the way they've done their team building over the last couple of years. Um, you know, they get to sign a Jack Grealish for funsies and they get to sign Erling Holland because they finally decide, you know what would be cool? What if we actually murdered the league as opposed to just beating it up? <laughs> so... Um, I, I would like to co-sign everything Polly said there. Uh, I, I think the Casemiro signing is really kind of the, it, that was the one where it let us know, okay, we're trying to stabilize things. This isn't maybe the, the most prudent signing that we're making. We're making this to kind of just stop the ship from sinking. Um, and then he's kind of looked a little, <laughs> a little poor out on the field so far. So hopefully he gets, uh, gets his feet under him uh, in the new system. I didn't have a problem with the Anthony thing. You know, the price certainly suggests like, hey, you might want to be better than a project uh, coming in. I think he's been fine so far. Granted, he's played, what, two games? We we just haven't gotten to watch United play in a while, so hopefully training's been really productive um, since the international break. Um, But I, I think I've always been a big proponent on trying to find those diamonds in the rough, you know, it's a meme at this point. Daniel James was one of those guys. Uh, Tyro Molassi, it looks like he might be a little bit more successful than Daniel James. And again, it's such a good signing. You know, where being able to pick some more of those guys out is going to be so, so important because, like Paulie said, there's just not money in the budget now. It's The coffers are a lot thinner. Um, so that's, that's where we're going to want to see that progress is – I don't obviously this team definitely put themselves in a situation where I don't think they're going to buy in January or and I think January is going to be a really interesting transfer market anyway um, to see what kind of moves happen. Uh, start start scouting the teams that you think are going to get relegated. Who do you like? You know, who is our um, Wait, who's, uh, our Todd, who's, our, who's our Todd Cantwell? I'm not I'm yeah, not saying that. Who's our I'm, Max not Aaron's, that, uh, you know? I'm not saying that Tyrell Molossi is also, going Max to Max Aaron's, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> I'm not saying Tyrell Molossi is going to become bad, but uh, let's just let's just remember that at this point in his first season, Dan James already had three goals and like an assist already, maybe an assist. So <laughs> it was already it was looking like a very at this point, like say what you want about Dan James now, but at this point in his first season, that was looking like a very shrewd signing. Well, and well, we saw let you know anything we, we signed Tyrell for under like 20, right? Like yeah, I think it was like 17. 12 with maybe five. Yeah, so add-ons. he's in a situation where you can, he can have a hiccup too. Um, and like he will. Anthony, he will have if, hiccups. 
Yeah. Like if Anthony has a bad run of form, you know, that's when the pitchforks come out because people start acting like it's their money that got spent. And they're like, well, I, why did we buy this guy? And it's like, well, you all saw the same highlight tape. Like that's the reason why we bought him. But forwards can't, it's unrealistic unless their name is Erling Holland, I guess, to expect all forwards to score every single game or assist every single game. It's very rare that you find a player that does that. And so Anthony's going to have some dips and it's going to be unfair to him when he, when he starts taking lumps on social media for it. Um, but if you can find some more guys who are just, they might be a little wet behind the ears, but you're just, you haven't seen United take these chances. And the couple times that they've done it, it seems like it's been okay. Diego Dallo, you know, has been all right. Um, he seems to be playing better now that he's in the system. Maybe that's a little more suitable for him than in the past. And uh, Malassia looks like he might be all right. Dan James had his moments. I know it, that's been litigated to hell. Um, but they just haven't taken those shots. And the, they love to take a risk on a big swing. And when those don't work out, it hurts them a lot more. So I'd like to see him take some smaller swings. And they've put themselves in a situation where they're going to have to, unless all of a sudden uh, really what United's going to have to be waiting for is if um, they get bought right now. Then all of a sudden you'll see that lottery money that Polly's talking about. But is the financial situation going to be there where a deal can get pushed through and done quickly because, you know, United, that's that's not an overnight sale. That's going to take a long, long time, a lot of litigation um, to make all that happen. Yeah, I've already forgot the Ineos guy's name. Is John something Jim? Jim Rackley. I think it was, yeah, Jim I think Rackley. there's a lot of noise yeah. done to uh, uh, he's, take advantage he's, of, he's done of the noise. As well. Yeah. Um, but Proper uh, Brexiteer. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, smaller swings, though, uh, I said Gakpo earlier. Cody Hackpo, uh, which is how you pronounce his name, because that's how G's go in Dutch, uh, would have been, what, 20 to 25 million euros? And now he's, you know, looking really good for the Dutch squad ahead of the World Cup. There's the potential that, you know, the chances of signing him for a low fee are totally gone now. You're doing it. You're doing the thing, Colin. Doing what thing? How many Playing more wingers right. do we need? <laughs> Winger, we we seem to. That, that's like the one Le- thing. Left-sided wingers, yeah. That's like the one thing that like we don't stop signing is wingers. Even even the other like even the uh yeah just uh, how many freaking wingers we we signed a winger this year we signed a winger to be last fair, he plays centrally as well. We signed a winger this year. We signed a winger last year. We signed two wingers the year before that. We signed a winger the year before that. The year before that, we we finally did not sign a winger. And uh, the season before that, we paid up the wazoo for a winger. The year before that, uh, depending on where you consider Mkhitaryan, we signed a winger. <laughs> the year he's I'm not going to count Mkhitaryan because uh, he was Bundesliga Player of the Year as like a number ten. So, but anyway. And not only that, we also added Garnacho, and we added two wingers from the academy. I mean, you know, without rehashing every podcast that we've done in the last what two, three years together, 
this team just doesn't eat its vegetables, man. If you know, and I've been trying to become more of an American football guy again after swearing off the sport for a while. And I, I'm back on my bullshit. And you know what I figured out? Uh, good teams invest in their defensive line and their offensive line. They eat their vegetables. And in Manchester United's case, it needs to be midfield. Um, and that's how teams are successful. Because once you're – once those positions that have to be short up are short up, then that's when you can buy the luxury pieces, you know. Right now we're like the Cowboys, and I think I've made this comparison before. It was in the in the mid two thousands when Jerry Jones just kept signing wide receivers, but like nobody could pass the ball to said wide receiver. So I was like, what was the point of having that? That's kind of what United's got right now. We've got all these wingers, but nobody gets the ball to the wingers. Well, let's just hope that Anthony is our Christian Kirk, and that it seems like we overpaid. But you know, look at what's happening. Jagging off, baby. You want to do a Jags podcast? I, I, I'm i ready to talk about Jags. Um, well, I'll know by week 13 how I feel about my team and whether I want a new one. So. Are you still talking about Manchester United? or? <laughs> sure. We probably should talk about Manchester United. Okay. Uh, Manchester City. Let's, let's move on to the Manchester Derby now. Um, they're... A f- I made this comparison. I don't even remember if it was on the podcast because it was so long ago. But there's that phrase. uh, It's like giving a machine gun to a monkey, you know, something like that, where you hand this unstoppable technology to someone who doesn't know how to use it. Well, I made the comparison that giving Erling Holland to Pep Guardiola in this Manchester City team is like giving a machine gun to a scientist who knows how to turn it into the Death Star. Because... uh, you know, despite hopes that maybe Manchester City would struggle to adjust to having a, you know, one central focal point of their attack, um, what's actually happened is he's scored 14 goals in 10 appearances in all competitions, and he's looking, you know, unstoppable, like the Terminator. And wait till they start using him. He's yeah. touching the ball like 15 times a game. <laughs> that was the thing with him at Dortmund, is he was way more involved on the ball than he was at city or is now. So he was, he was way more involved and like pep from it's, it's, it's like just funny because, and now like Sergio Aguero was like a 25 goal a year striker. And, and pep was always just like, like he pep came in and was like, I need you to do more. You can't just score goals here. You're going to need to do more. And there was always friction. There was always like right away. They signed Gabriel Jesus. And for like, Three years, we were like, is this the year where Gabriel Jesus just becomes the striker and, and Aguero goes to the bench? And Aguero made it like seven years, another seven years where he kept scoring. But like Pep was always pushing, you got to do more. And he, and he started doing more. So the question with Holland was, how are you going to adapt to Pep's system where he requires the striker to do more? And he requires the striker to help to help you out. And Pep just went, no, 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 like. You see how like Holland rec- like takes up two two center backs like so just use that space that that's gonna help us itself because Holland you just score goals and you can just score goals in a team with ten other guys that are all really good on the ball really composed on the ball uh, and create chances and also work their tail off to win it back then again so does Holland like Holland actually will do Holland does the off the ball work and then City because. 
the strikers off the ball work is just start the press. I'm like, let your teammates win it back. So like his teammates win it back. And then he just goes back to being like, I'll just look around here and eventually you'll create a chance and I'll finish it. He's so good, man. I hate him. You're, you remember, I, I remember vividly being in a parking lot, a target parking lot a couple years ago. It was the winter time. And I was, convinced we were going to sign this man from Salzburg. And then he signed with, and I, I think that's when I, um, I saw the, the notification that he had signed with Dortmund and I just, it, it really bummed me out. I wanted him then. And we now, needed him then. You're it's funny out. that it's people are like, that people are like, um, I can't believe United let him, let him get away and like, let him sign uh, with Dortmund. No, what it's, a shit. And it's, it's like, it's, I can't believe Solskjaer let him get right when, it, when it's very much been proven he is the one trying to sign him and it's like here's the thing if if united sign him in january of 2020 erling holland is a manchester city player in september of 2022 but at least we get 60 million pounds out of him. no that would yeah i don't it, it, we wouldn't it, even be getting the full 60 million yeah you, you I, would I, I don't prescribe to the idea that we like let him get away because I, I think the reporting was pretty clear that Mino Rayola and Erling Holland's father were steering that thing uh, well, we, pretty intently. We, we pulled out of the deal, so like we did let him. Yeah. Get away. But but we pulled out of the deal because of the way that Erling Holland's father and Mino Rayola were steal it, were structuring it and steering it yeah. by the fact that if we had signed him in January 2020, he would be a Manchester City player in we, September we, 2022, we really and we would be able to do meme. nothing about it. We got to do the Domino's meme on the, on the Busby Babe account of, like, Roy Keane <laughs> breaking this man's leg <laughs> to Manchester City, setting a new goal-scoring record like in 2020. at one point in his career, and he just came back. Um, it would have been sweet though. Like, you know, we did have the only top flight Norwegian manager and you had two incredible generational talents coming out of that, that country and, uh, Erling Holland and farther down on the, on the rung, but still pretty good. Martin Odegaard, um, that, that'd have been a cool little, little one, two punch. Uh, yeah. We would I mean, not know how to use Martin Odegaard. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oh, absolutely he, not. He wouldn't have gotten in over Bruno Fernandez either. But um, if he yeah. showed up, Fernandez did. Like we wouldn't have known how to use him. But but anyways, uh, Manchester City. So United have to play them this Sunday. Um, do we have any hope of getting three points out of this, given the way that United have played against teams that possess so far? If Casemiro finds his Madrid form of committing heinous tackles that avoid yellow cards. Very I think happy. we got a shot. McTominay might be better than Casemiro at that. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, the, you got to, at this point right now, you got to figure out a way to shut down Holland. But at the same time, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you take away Holland, guess what? They still got other players that can score and are really good yeah. at passing the ball. Um, because because it, it's not just when Holland gets the ball, it's you have to worry about all these players around him. When Holland gets the ball, it's too late to get him the ball. When when Holland gets the ball, it's too late. Yeah, you need you need yeah. to 
do your your defending and everything before that happens. Especially as we saw, it, like the one that sticks out to me the most was the West Ham game that City played in. Uh, I think it was De Bruyne or Cancelo that Holland's perfectly timing his run, so that way when they play this just piercing through ball right up the gut, Holland is already like ten feet ahead of his marker because he's that freaking fast and you can overplay the ball because um, he beats a keeper to it. And so, like, like what Polly's doing, you have to shut down that hockey assist or even what would be probably the assist. And it's, that's a tall order, too, because Jao Cancelo is playing out of his mind right now. Kevin De Bruyne is Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and then when you start to key in on these guys, and if you try and key, key in on Holland, Okai Gondwan has, has proven that he's very good at finding space and he will score because he can get into the box. And if you get him the ball, he is competent in finishing, too. Um, and then they can bring off Grealish. They bring Grealish off the bench for fun. They can bring Riyad Mahrez off the bench for fun if he doesn't start. Um, and it, on the flip-flop of Riyad Mahrez, you've got Bernardo Silva. Um, vibes are bad, dude. <laughs> I think I'm, one of my big worries for this one is this is when the hype talk about Lissandra Martinez really comes back. Because... Maybe we can just have a way that Varane ends up marking Holland in some of the aerial duels, but this is this is going to be a situation where they're responsible for marking a striker who's not only six four, but he's a super athlete. Other than that, and he's you know he's very technically astute. He's good at timing his jumps. He's good at positioning himself to best win the ball. I mean, this is a really really tough ask for a defense that has played pretty good up to this point, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to base this at all on tactics. I'm just going to base it on vibes, but <laughs> we didn't think we were going to beat Liverpool. <laughs> um, United have a chance in this game. Yeah. City have been, and this is broadly, overall broadly, something that has been forever a vulnerability of Pep Guardiola sides. And it's always been his life goal to shut this down. And some years he's more successful at it than others, but they are vulnerable to direct counterattacks. You have to be aggressive and you have to go at them. And if you do, you can have success. And I believe, uh, who'd they, who'd they play this year where they did have success? It was, was it Crystal Palace? So it was three, three. Yeah. There you go. Like they, they, they can be beaten in that way. Um, and United have beaten them in that way. They did it three times. They, they did it in the, they did it once at the Etihad in 2019-20. Then they did it again at the Etihad in the League Cup, and they did it again at the Etihad a year later. Um, where is this game? Is this game? Oh, it's, it's at, at the, the Etihad. Etihad. Good. Um, you just, you need to, uh, Aston Villa sort of did it also, but Aston Villa kind of just got City on a bad day. Um, it was Newcastle that got the 3-3. Right. So you can get at this, at this City team. You just, you have to be aggressive and you, you have to do it. And, and what, where City are getting an advantage right now is they have that old, united swagger of the other team walks onto the pitch and knows they're going to lose. And they're so afraid of Holland 
that they're playing scared and they're they're afraid to send men forward on the counterattack. And if you don't if you don't take those opportunities and you just sit back and try to defend, then Erling Holland is going to beat you. And City they have so much talent, they're just going to create enough chances that that you can do that. Um, United have a manager that knows how to manage and and hit you on the counterattack. Um, they did not have that last year with Ralph Ragnick, and they have that this year. So you have a, a Tenag who can look at this team and say, this is where we're going to go to attack them. The downside is the way that Eric Tenhog does it is he sits deep, very deep, uh, like deeper than Mourinho deep. This is the lowest United have played since Mourinho took over in terms of where their actions are coming from, where their defensive line is, how often they're letting teams just get into their box, how often they're letting teams pass the ball around their box. They are playing with fire. Um, you know, like Rafael Varane and Lissandra Martinez have been phenomenal inside their own box as like that last line of defense. They've basically been Eric Bailly of like, we made these outrageous blocks and it's like, it would be nice if, you didn't make those outrageous blocks because we didn't let them get into the box to begin with. And if they play like they did against Liverpool, where they were very reliant on winning second balls and, and bounces going their way, the second goal that United scored was the bounce went their way. It went right to Martial and he played in Rashford. They didn't create many other chances if they play like they did against Liverpool, who are lacking a striker, but were constantly in United's box looking dangerous with Erling Holland, you have no chance in that match. So they need to get a little bit more. Look, if they play the way they did in 2019, 2019-20, they sort of kept them at bay. They gave up that late corner, a goal on the late corner to make it 2-1, but they were pretty good um, the rest of the game. The League Cup game. People forget this mostly because everybody thinks it was a loss because we needed to win by two and we only won one nil with that Pereira Fred free kick. Um, they had no business winning that match one nil. Like City flooded their goal all game and somehow it didn't somehow didn't find the net. And the same thing happened uh, a year later at the Etihad. In between there, they won 2-0 at Old Trafford. That was actually one of the best games United played in the last five years. They gave City nothing. They didn't let them near their... They didn't. They played much higher up the pitch. They didn't let them in their box. You got to find something between that and and the Liverpool match. It, it, the, the downside of that City match that they won 2-0 was they didn't generate much of an attack. They didn't counterattack on them. They scored on a set piece. They scored at the very end when... Um, Ederson threw the ball to McTominay without and like wasn't in his net. So if you're going to sit back deep, it, it just feels like it, it feels like you're um, you're facing the Golden State Warriors and like not letting the big man beat you where it's like, oh, they'll just pop threes from the entire like the entire game. And or yeah. yeah, that's the bad example because the Warriors could shoot threes. I, I take like prime Shaq and be like, we're just, um, you know, we're just you you can't shoot threes, but we're focusing on just we're putting five guys on this guy, and eventually you're gonna find you're gonna find him and he's gonna score. 
I, th- I think one thing, too, about playing deep is that United have relied a lot on their ability to just play out and spring goal, spring attacks, not like counterattacks, but spring attacks from balls over the top, things like that. And Manchester City are so much better at shutting that sort of play down uh, right. by, by pressing every... from the front than other teams are. Well, like, I mean, against Liverpool, they just played get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. And that second goal came when Liverpool played a long ball and Varane just headed it away. And then Liverpool tried to control it. There was a miskick and it bounced right to Martial. And like United were working on winning the second balls. And, and it looked really good because they were doing all that stuff that looks good to fans. They were running hard. They were going into tackles and everything. They weren't doing much, much else. They weren't creating much. Their first goal came because Jaden Sancho got all the way back to start the counterattack. If you go back to the, the 1920 game, like those counterattacks started from the defense, was defense defended and were looking to pass out on those first day. Like Lindelof made a play and to intercept the pass and his interception first touch passed to Lingard, who turned on the ball, sent it to Rashford and they were on their way. And that's what Sir Alex Ferguson always talked about was the key to a counterattack is that first pass. Whereas against Liverpool United, we're playing second ball fight, fight hard for it. And there's just, there's every chance in the world that Pep Guardiola has sat around for the last week and a half and been like, huh, uh, how we, you know, like what's our weakness here and how do we make sure, how do we take away United strength? Because we'll figure out a way to do If like we take away the one thing that they're doing, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. And it, it's, um, that's it's like the thing that he has the least control over when it comes to risk. And I'm sure it drives him crazy because it's actually bit him in several big games at city. And I mean, kept them from the champions league, but yeah, I, I just, the, the ability to stop a team from quickly breaking after turning the ball over when they played in the COVID year, the first time they played at old Trafford city were coming into that game. They, they, they'd finally, they'd gotten some wins, um, but we didn't realize that this is like the start of a 20 game winning streak. Cause there was like two, three wins and they were like one nils. And before that it wasn't going great. Yeah. And basically Guardiola said, we're just not going <laughs> to do anything risky. Well, they took, but they took away the one thing United could do. He like looked at that game against, against PSG and he went McTominay and Fred are here to disrupt play. And when they disrupt play and they win the ball back in the middle of the field and they, they could spread it outward outward to the runners and then those runners get the ball and that's where we're that's where we could be in trouble and so pep just went we're just not going to play in the middle of the field and they went down the left touch line and then when they wanted to move it over they went back and like back to their defenders and switched it over to the right and they just played around McTominay and Fred to say basically you can't do the thing that you're really good at and therefore United couldn't launch anything and like United had a few chances right at the beginning of the game and then nothing else and like City it did it neutralized City a little bit they weren't pristine or great but they finished with the bulk of the chances and and they they came it was a it was a stale nil nil draw because Pep just went we're not letting you do what you can do because I think if and we'll figure it out from there and on that day they didn't but on this day they have Erling Holland. Uh, Nathan, what you thinking? 
he's chilling at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> You're muted. You're muted, so you can't even come back to that. I can say whatever. I know oh, it's it's terrible. I there's a lot of ambient noise in the city, as I mentioned, so I wanted to make sure that wasn't coming over the mic. Um, what do I think about Manchester City versus Manchester United versus compared to what I already said before? Polly, after Polly went into his thing, is what you're asking? Yeah. Um. I mean, it makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, what would make me feel even better? It looks like there's a report. I will say that the source is not my my most trusted, but I have seen uh, the like one report on social media that Marcus Rashford might be back. Um, of course, he's coming off of a hamstring injury that kept him out of potentially making the England camp. Uh, if he's healthy, that makes me feel better about a, a potential uh, upset because I, I I don't think this is anything less than an upset if you get points out of this game. Um, I, I think I am interested to see though if he's not fit if Tenog just starts Alanga ahead of Ronaldo anyway. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how you justify playing Ronaldo in this game, like at all. Uh, outside of uh, after the 80th minute, you if either if, it's, if, if Rashford is not fit, you either have to go with Alonga or Anthony. Like, think yeah. about it this way: whatever your tactics are going to be defensively, it probably doesn't feature Ronaldo. And the best strategy in that place is put in someone else that can that can do that job. Like, remember, going back to that 1920 season and the game against City, three days earlier we played Tottenham, where Anthony Martial, like, was just sick. And instead of, like, moving Rashford to striker, Solskjaer just went, I'm just going to put Mason Greenwood here, who's not ready to play in this game. He's not ready to be a striker in the Premier League yet. But I'm going to put him in. Let, like, Greenwood, like, touched the ball, like, 11 times that day. It was just go out there and do Martial's job defensively, and, like, the rest of the team will figure it out. And... That's yeah. what you have to do if Rashford's not fit here. I, I, I think the only way you could justify with a straight face in a press conference putting Ronaldo in this game is if it is after the 80th minute and United is down by one goal. I don't even I, if the game's tied, I don't think you can justify putting Ronaldo in because you're like trying to chase three points because I. Th- I think City would be you know able to pounce on that if you're trying to chase a point because you're down a goal. I, I think that's the only way maybe it makes sense, but I, you know, he, he we're, we're at that point now. We were talking about it last year and it's the, the rooster or the chickens have really, what's the metaphor? They've Whatever. Come home to roost. Uh, they have come home to roost. That's the one. Uh, I, I don't know how you can justify playing it more than 25 minutes in a game, especially a game like this where people got to be ready to run. Um, I, I like. I much prefer Rashford, but I can I can understand if you do some combo of Alanga, Anthony, Sancho. You know those are three relatively competent to extreme. You know ranging from relatively competent to extremely competent attackers. That if you can get the ball sprayed out to where they're at, they can create something. Um, of course, Alanga's finishing has been a little bit to be desired this season. But I think Sancho right now is more and more comfortable. Anthony knows the system. Uh, and hopefully, like we've kind of alluded to over the last couple of weeks, hopefully he's a little more comfortable uh, playing with his teammates now. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, 
Ten Hag's kind of been playing the greatest hits a little bit of what made Solskjaer successful and what has made what made Mourinho successful a little bit here and there. He's kind of had to, he's not playing pure Ajax football right now. Um, so we not have seen perfect. that. The, yeah. So we've seen that there is a blueprint and most of the players are still on this team uh, to beat Manchester city. So uh, for better or for worse, we, the pieces are there. So um, they're just a little bit older. Yeah. And ju- just to kind of add to the Ronaldo thing a little bit and we can maybe end on this talking about the men's team but does it feel a little bit like everyone else is starting to come around on what we've been seeing and talking about over the past year yeah some 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 it's still a little bit muted but it's like these past couple international games i think for portugal especially because ronaldo's actually started on top of the europa league games in which he was awful it's just you really just can't deny it anymore that I I mean, I've read something that said like he got slammed in Portugal today Okay. for his well, performance against Spain. That's nice. Cause I mean, I mean, I didn't watch that game, but by all accounts, it sounded really bad. And he wasn't even, uh, I mean, in the game before Spain, when Dallo scored twice and Bruno Fernandes scored, I mean, Ronaldo didn't do anything in that game either, except get a bloody nose. Well, and and I think in the case of the um, uh, the Portuguese national team too, you have strikers that are waiting in the wings that are younger and more fit, um, like Rafael Leo, for instance. I I think there's probably there's probably a lot of ardent Portuguese fans who are looking at it like, all right, well, if Ronaldo's playing like this, it's it's time to see what the new guard looks like. So, because, yeah, it's, <laughs> he, he's, I don't want to make this sound pejorative, but he is starting to look a lot more like an MLS player than he is, you know, any other league. Yeah. And, and against, against City especially, I mean, we saw last year that he offers nothing in those games, even when he was, you know, he scored goals last season, sure. But this season, it's like, his technical ability is so bad that you can't risk somebody like him turning the ball over against Manchester city's defenders. Cause they'll pick you apart from that end of the pitch. It's like they have passers at every position. Yeah. That, I, that, that's the biggest challenge that, that you run into because you're, you're basically playing with 10 men on the field. If, if he's there, cause he's not pressing center backs when they're trying to cycle the ball around. And he, his positional awareness is either, really poor or he's actively doing what he can not to be in the right position which is even worse than being positionally unaware so he goes into ronaldo positions yeah that's why the 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 only reason why i could ever justify him playing in this game specifically against manchester city is if ten Hag breaks glass in case of emergency let's get a goal let's get a point and the circumstances are such that you think that he can do that because you're just throwing all the shit at the wall at that point. But I don't even think I don't even think he came you, off the bench. I don't even think he came off the bench and scored last year at any point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he was hardly ever on the bench last year <laughs> for coming off the bench. This is like if he was missing a game, he was just. Not that is true. He did. They day. did drop him. They did drop him to play Burnley, and and it was one one, and they brought him off the bench, and he got like six chances. Like. Yeah. 
in, in the 25 minutes he played and he didn't score. I'm like, they were, they were good, legit. Like I expect Cristiano Ronaldo to finish these chances. I, you're just seeing now like a bunch of, yeah, like Nathan's right. It's, it's the positioning. It's uh, like, there was a, a situation against, against Arsenal where he, they played it long on a goal kick and he won the initial header that he flicked it on to Fred and then just like ran behind Fred and, and Fred then just squared it to Bruno at the back post. Now, granted, Ronaldo was never going to get there in time anyway, but like never even attempted to make that near post run that your striker has to make. And he wasn't going to get there in time, but talk to any coach. They'd rather you see a player be late making the correct run than not making the correct run where he went. He just stood on top of Christian Erickson. So it was like, what's the point in having Erickson here? And there's been several. It, it's his gravity. It's it's the fact that, like, we know. If you don't pass him the ball after the game, you're going to hear about it. He's he it is well known. He does that to teammates that when he doesn't make the run that a center forward is supposed to is supposed to make. Um, it's still somehow not his fault. Right. But then the ball goes to him and it's like the ball shouldn't come to you in this in this scenario. There was a, there was this great like sometimes the center forward supposed to just make a run that is going to pull defenders away from somebody else. I'm like there was this on I think it was Ronaldo's chance in the first Europa League game. Like Fred makes this brilliant run right across the near post that drags defenders out and opens up Ronaldo. Like that's sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes you need your striker to make that run to open somebody else up. And there's, there's been a lot of talk about people just being like, what's got like, you know, this is just what is wrong with Ronaldo. There's something different. And it's just like, it's, it's called age. This happens to everybody. It catches up to everybody. And it's a testament to Cristiano Ronaldo that it's 37 years old that this is happening to him. Because for most footballers, even the really good ones, it happens at 32, 33. They just become, they have to re- revise their game. And like the, the thing is, Ronaldo's never, Ronaldo's always been the scorer of great goals, but he's never been the give him six chances. He's going to score five times guy. He's the give him six chances. He'll score one or two. Um, and it's catching up now because now he's now it's, it's starting to uh, become elusive to him. And there's, he's not making himself useful in another way. Whereas uh, Ryan Giggs became a central midfielder. Rooney dropped deeper, became a midfielder and passed the ball around. Gerard dropped deeper and, and passed the ball around. Like Pirlo dropped deeper and, and ping passes all over the field. Messi He's is not facilitator Messi. Now. Right. <laughs> Messi is just pinging through balls through to Neymar and Mbappe. Like, like the Messi thing is now starting to look like Mauricio Pochettino just had no idea how to use Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe because right. a, a year later, Messi is back. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's going to do it for uh, the Manchester United men's team talk. We're going to talk now about Manchester United women who um, have not gotten a lot of coverage on the Busby Bay podcast. So we're trying to change that along with our written content this season. And a uh, pretty good time to do it, it seems like, because uh, they started off really well. They've had two wins, one a 4-0 win on opening day over Brighton, and then they beat West Ham uh, this past weekend. 
Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about is if you'd had a chance to watch either of the games yet, or at least the highlights. I, I, I believe the first one was against Reading, not Brighton. Right, Reading. There we go. I'm not. It's it's not out of it's not out of I didn't want to. It's 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 similar to why there's no content on the website. Like Colin can right. attest to this. I started a draft last week of something and it hasn't been touched in a week. I simply have not had the time. Right. Well, Nathan fact checked me on one of them, so at least <laughs> I, I I I'm trying to keep up through social media. Um, one one of the challenges that we have here, obviously, the WSL is not being as widely broadcasted. Um. I've got to figure out which streaming service I need for that because um, it's even a challenge to watch NWSL games uh, sometimes here in the States. At least now it's finally like centralized in one place. So um, women's um, football is on the rise, thankfully. Um, for people yeah, in, outside the UK, uh, the FAWSL is free to watch on the FA player. You just have to create a free account. The problem is uh, most of the games are at like 6 a.m. for us. Well, yeah, there's. <laughs> there also for, the problem was team, that the week that I had available to watch them, they didn't play. Yeah. Uh, for for this team, I would say, I might break my rule and I, I would set an alarm to 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 watch a 7 a.m. Eastern time game. Um, the vibes seem pretty good. Um, especially coming off of that West Ham win. Uh, right now preparing two to play, uh, Aston Villa who I believe are nipping at their heels in the standings right now. It's it's pretty early, but, I mean, that's a 2-3 matchup in the WSL Cup uh, this Saturday as well. It, it It's really cool how just insanely competitive the league has been. Uh, of course, the one game that was canceled or well, postponed, I believe it was with uh, everything that was going on with the Queen, United was supposed to play Tottenham, and Tottenham just got shelled by Arsenal 4-0 in a pretty lopsided um, London Derby, so it, it seems like the the cream is already rising to the crop a little bit, rising to the top a little bit. Obviously, Arsenal women have been really good, um, but it's, it seems like United stabilized, especially after it looked like the situation was really, really dire there um, with Casey Stoney leaving, with the inadequate treatment that was happening uh, inside the organization. Um, towards its women's team versus its men's team. Uh, and it, it looks like things have, have rebounded. And as we were talking right before we started, you know, Casey Stoney, uh, coach of the San Diego wave, uh, just took the wave to the NWSL playoffs. They clinched their spot. They're the first expansion team to do that in their first season. Um, so it hurts to look at that because you, you, you see the quality of coach that was in the building and let walk because you just weren't supporting that person, but it, it seems like things are on the up now. Yeah, losing Casey Stoney, it seems almost like symbolic of the problem that Manchester United women are going to have if they don't start doing better because they've finished fourth like three seasons in a row now in the WSL. You have to finish top three to qualify for the Women's Champions League. So they haven't yet you know, reached that next barrier of being a competitive team. They were really close to doing it last year. They have a really good strike partnership with Ella Toon and Alessia Russo, both of whom were a really big part of England's Euro win this past summer. But the problem is, you know, Jackie Grannon left for PSG this past summer. 
not just because she gets to play in the Champions League, but also because PSG, you know, plays better. They they pay better. And, uh, you know, they're in it for winning trophies just about every year in France and in the Champions League. They get pretty far. United have players yeah. like Russo who could start for, you know, other better teams that are in a position to compete in the Champions League every year. Elatun probably the same way. And uh, on a Batier, especially uh, the Spanish right back, um, who, by the way, in FIFA 23 is amazing to play with. But uh, those are also, I mean, Mary Earps, also the England goalkeeper, the Euros, her Batier and Alessio Russo have expiring contracts this year. So it's really, really pertinent to get that Champions League spot and get those contracts locked down because these are players who will probably move on if they get if they don't get Champions League and they don't get that opportunity to challenge for trophies. Yeah. And uh, kind of looking ahead on the season too, they, they've got a really good opportunity to put themselves in a good place um, with teams that are right now below them in the table uh, before November 6th, when they have to play Chelsea, who are historically a uh, pretty good women's side. And then and, uh, right afterwards, they've got Arsenal on November 20th. Mm-hmm. So, all of a sudden, you're gonna. They've got a couple games to to really build that momentum, and then on top of that, after Arsenal, it's Aston Villa. So it's going to be a little bit of a murderer's row. Um, uh, teams that they got to play. So it's exciting because this team is is playing better, um, and the level of the league just in general is getting better. And and we're constantly seeing teams that put the money where their mouth is with these teams. The success is there. And for for as much as they want to be like a shrewd business, you, you, I wish Manchester United would notice that a little bit faster because you have teams like Lyon, PSG, Barcelona. They care about their women's teams and the success is being proven on that in Manchester City, Arsenal. Um, there's no reason why a team of this financial might shouldn't be in the top three every year for and I know I'm saying this is like I constantly mentioned this about the men's team of like, oh, you know, you can't just talk about size of the club. But like in this instance, I think you can because right now everything's still so new. Throw your throw your weight around and make sure that the because at the end of the day, if the players feel supported, they'll stay. And if the players feel supported, they'll help you recruit. And you won't have situations where like you were able to bring in high profile signings like Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. And they were, like, instantly gone after you signed them. Granted, both of them have some, some injury issues, too. But, I mean, those were those were marquee signings, and they were gone as quickly as they came. And they um, sold more shirts than any men's player that season. So, like, that's a commercial benefit that you know that this ownership group loves. Right. I mean, it, England and Barcelona, both this past year, are huge examples of if you build it, as in like the product on the pitch, they will come, they will, you can sell out your biggest stadium if you put the right product on the pitch. And this Manchester United team is pretty close to being a damn good product as in like competing with some of the best in, in England and hopefully Europe. So yeah, everybody continue to support the team, you know, more opportunities for this team to play at old Trafford because then that's additional ticket sales revenues, match day revenues, uh, if you're able to, you see like the Camp Nou having 
all those tens of thousands of people in there to watch Barcelona women, it that's only going to buoy the situation and, and and allow the team to continue to support um, the women's team even more. So it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship in that sense of um, we as supporters of the club need to support all facets of the club and continuing to find the streams legally. So that way the ad, the ad revenue uh, is there. And, you know, if you're in the Manchester area, make it out to a game and, um, it's really exciting that this team didn't immediately nosedive with the uh, self-inflicted wounds a couple years ago. So, yeah. And, you know, that that's a credit to Mark Skinner as well, uh, coming into a difficult job. Um, the team has gotten a little bit more backing. They're not having to train at the cliff anymore, which, you know, imagine being Tobin Heath and Kristen Press coming to Manchester United and training at a used training ground. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, start, it starts here in the United States in the women's game in high school and college. I mean, Kristen Press went to Stanford, you know, like those are high quality uh, college athletic facilities. And then moving on into um, the NWSL, which has had its problems, but there there's money there now where players are. Set up, set up to succeed, and that was not clearly the case um, initially when Manchester United was in the WSL. Yeah. So, um, if you are interested in watching, I actually don't know if there's a legal way to watch it in the U.S., but uh, this Saturday in the WSL FA or sorry, the FA Women's FA Cup, um, Manchester United will be playing Aston Villa. It is at. Uh, 12.30, so like lunchtime kickoff in the UK. It'll be around 6 a.m. our time, 6.30 a.m. Uh, Central time, 7.30 a.m. Yeah, 7.30 if you're a normal person on the East Coast. Right. Um, so, yeah, watch that if you get the chance. It may be on MUTV. I don't have live soccer TV up in front of me, so um, I will have to look that up. But we'll try and share that on the site as well. Um also, you know, follow me and follow Casey Evans. He's going to be following the Man United women's team a little bit more closely. He wrote a really good piece on on Abatier uh, for us this past weekend. And he also does stuff for the Manchester Evening News about the women's team. And uh, follow Costa Pendy, uh, who writes our match reports. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for this week's episode. Uh, I hope this helped fill the content void a little bit there. We do apologize for that. There just hasn't been that much to write about. And, um, you know, the queen dying kind of postponed a lot of things. So, um, and time I did, I did, I did start a draft and then just got absolutely swallowed at work. It's it's never going to get completed because it's not, it's not going to be timely anymore. Nathan did write something though. So go check it out. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is a good preparation, right? Because the king is old. I don't want to start writing his obituary yet, but he's not exactly spring chicken. So we might be void of content again pretty soon. Um, comment, comment, send us a tweet if there's things you'd like to talk about, because our group chat's certainly been talking about, like, Andor. Um, if you just want us to do a 45-minute pod on uh, doing the bare minimum, making Star Wars cool again by just, like, providing character development and original set content. design yeah like you know i love to talk about that so and uh fo- follow me for all hot jaguars takes because we're gonna win the super bowl this year
And check out the Emiliano Terzaghi documentary on YouTube through the Richmond Kickers uh, channel because uh, Nathan and his team put a lot of uh, good work into that. So, uh, yeah. Support me for the Back next week with its amazing theme song. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible that in Richmond, Virginia, we have a top three Argentine footballer. Um, and yes, it's, I'm very glad to hear the Europa League theme again. It's Messi, Maradona, Terzaghi, right? Active. 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 So oh. Messi, Lissandra Martinez, and then Emi Terzaghi. <laughs> and, then, and then Terzaghi, okay. Man, and then, man. like, way down is Marcus Rojo. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.